pray, and then let's hear God speak to our hearts. Father, we thank you, Lord, once again for God's, what, what an amazing time of worship, Lord. Your presence was heavy. And Father, we just rejoice in that, to know that you're a God who is near us. And as we, Lord, surrender our lives to you, we sense a surrounding of your presence in our lives. And that, Lord, as we worship you, it, it changes our perspective. It challenges, it challenges us as people, Lord, to change. And we thank you for that, Lord. And Father, I pray this morning that and trust that our hearts are, are so ready to receive your word this morning. And Father, I decrease that you would increase. I empty myself of myself, so fill me with yourself. That everything that I say into every thought that enters my mind would be of you and not of me. We praise in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, listen, if you have your Bible or Bible app, turn to 1 John chapter 3. Verses 1 through 3, we're now back in our series, Authentic. Say authentic. And we took two weeks off from this series because of Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday. Again, First John, the Epistle John, not the Gospel John, but the Epistle John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And before we dive into the text, I want to do a quick review from chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. You might remember these points I gave you back uh, several weeks ago. Uh, four points there was the Antichrist, say that. And that's in verses 18 and 19. And John says this is the last hour, which is the period between the first and second coming of Jesus. And then he says that the Antichrist, singular, is coming. And then he says this, even now, many, say many, Antichrist, plural, have come. And this is how we know it is the last hour. And so prior to the rise of the Antichrist, John's saying, and we see this, many Antichrists, false prophets, those teaching heresies in the church will appear in the spirit of the Antichrist. And John makes it very clear that they were not, they were not true believers, they were wolves in sheep's clothing, not of the same gospel, okay, not of the same doctrine, they're not of us, say they're not of us. And he says, for if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but they're going, say they're going, they're going to show that none of them belong to us. The second point was anointing. Say that. And that's in verse, verses 20 through 23. And this anointing, this anointing is the ministry of the Holy Spirit who indwells all believers. Now, in context, because context is everything, right? In context, it refers to the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit uh, that helps us to discern truth from error. And what he does, the Spirit of God exposes falsehood so we don't fall prey to false doctrine and false teaching. The third point was abiding. Say that. Abiding, verses 24 to 27. And John says, says this, See that what you have heard, speaking of God's word from the beginning, speaking of our conversion, remains and abides in you. If it does, John says, if it does, you also will remain slash abide in the Son and in the Father. So he's saying we should abide in the Word of God and in the Son and the Father, right? And that we true believers have no need for these other guys, speaking of these false teachers. We don't need them for anything. And then John says that the Holy Spirit will never teach us anything that is contrary to the truth, to the Word of God. The fourth one was appearing. Say that. Appearing, verses 28 to 29. And he's saying that the return of Christ John's simply saying a Christian will either have confidence when Christ 
comes back or will shrink back in embarrassment. And if we know the righteous Savior, if we do, if we know the righteous Savior, there will be righteous living in our lives. Amen. So this now brings us to today's text. And the title of my message today is Children of God. Everyone say that with great enthusiasm. Children of God. Love it. Love it. Four points. If you're ready, say yes. Number one is this, the Father's love. Say that. The Father's love. Now, we're going we're gonna to focus more on God slash the Father's love in chapter 4 when we get to it. But we're going to talk about it here because it's part of the text. Amen. Verse 1a, verse 1a. John writes, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us. I'm going to read that again. This is very, very powerful. It's meaningful. It's amazing how great is the love the Father has lavished on us. In the original Greek text, it reads, look at this, or become aware of this, or consider this, or get this. In other translations, it's rendered by the word behold. Say behold. So, so the real emphasis is, hey, look at this, pay attention. That's what John's driving at, pay attention. I also want to point out that in the text, the two words, how great, now say how great. In the original language, literally means of what country. Say of what country. So the text would sound somewhere, some, somewhat like this. Of what country did this love come from? In other words, God's love is an out-of-this-world love. Got it? This love that God has lavished on us is nothing like the world knows. Got it? You see, John wants us to, to take, take a special note here to stop what we're doing and look at, say look at, say, say look at, look at God's unique love for us. That we would be astonished and in awe of God's love and, and out of this world, mind-blowing, amazing love. Here's the lesson. You ready for the lesson? God loves us. Come on, say that. Say that. God loves us. Now, if you're safe, say amen. God's love, amazing love, and we're going to spend more time on his love in chapter 4 when we get to that. But his love is eternal. It's personal. It's supernatural. It's unconditional. It's sacrificial. That's his love. His love never fails. His love never, say, never changes. It's constant. Therefore, God's love, his love, never, never at any time or at any moment will ever fail us. Amen? Every moment of, of every single day, he is God. God is pouring out his love on us. Now, now go back to the text. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us? Say lavished. In other words, God drenches us, drenches us, in his love. Amen? He has poured out oceans, love this, oceans of love on us. He, he floods us with his love. And his love is so great. His love is so amazing. His love is so vast. It's like literally swimming in an ocean of his love. And we swim in that ocean of his love as he protects us, as he provides for us, as he cares for us, as he is causing all things to work together for our good, as he continues to minister to us, listen now, to encourage us, to direct us, to convict us, to shape us, and to move us closer to him. Now, if God's love doesn't move you, I mean, if it doesn't move you at all, 
if his love doesn't do something inside of you, if you're not blown away anymore, listen now, by his love for you, then you will begin to grow indifferent and complacent in your walk with God. You'll begin to lack passion in worship. You're not going to worship the same anymore. You begin to lack passion in witnessing, lack passion in your prayer life, lack passion in reading and studying his word. You will find yourself just going through the motions stagnant, going through the motions with absolutely no devotion to him whatsoever. So understand how much he loves us. Amen? Now notice God's great love for us. Let's, let's read on. Verse 1b. That we should be called what? Come on, say it like you belong to him. Children of God. And that's what we are. You got to love that, right? You got to love that. You know, God could have just forgiven us and then sent us on our way. Just go your way. But he didn't. I thank him for that. Amen? You see, God not only forgave us our sins, but he also brought us into his family. He, he adopted us as his own. We're in the family. Say, say, we're in the family. Okay, we're familia, right? We're, we're his children. You know, if you're saved, say amen. I want, to, I want you to get this. It's not just a title. It's reality. It's reality. We're not just called children of God. We, we really are children of God. That's what John's driving at. And what makes us children of God is that we have been born of him, new birth in him. Now I want you to get this. It's impossible for the natural man, it's impossible for the natural woman to know and experience God's love if they are not born of God. Can't, they can't. Say they can't. They must believe that Jesus is the Christ. In fact, John, in chapter 5 of 1 John, verse 1, chapter 5, verse 1, says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, this is what he says, is born of God. You guys got that? And you see, friends, our capacity to experience God's love is brought to us by our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. God gives us the honor, say the honor, of holding the title of his family. And that right comes to those only through faith in Jesus Christ. Only through faith in Jesus Christ. I'm reminded with Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, I believe. Yeah, Galatians 3, 26 says, You are all sons or daughters of God through faith in who? Jesus Christ. Got it? Now, I hear a lot of people, especially a lot of celebrities, who say, Oh, we're all God's children. Not true. You guys with me? And they're like, oh, you know what? We're all God's children. Not true. Not everyone is a child of God. We're all God's creation, right? But not all are God's. According to God's word, and if you read God's word, we only become his children when we're born of him, right? I want to prove it again. Here we go. John, the gospel of John. Write that down. Chapter 1. And I love this. Verses 12 through 13. Yet to all who received him, say received. To those who believed, say believed. In his name, this is what it says. Well, let's go back. To all who received him, 
to those who believed in his name, listen to what he says, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Got it? So only those of us who have become sons and daughters have the right and the freedom to come to God, Him, to God, gladly and gratefully at any time. Love that. Knowing that He will always welcome us as His own children. We have the right to call ourselves children of God. Amen? Now, if you're saved, say amen. We, listen now, we have now been placed into his family. The moment you got saved, you were placed into his family. We are his children, and he's our father. And guess what? He loves you and I. He loves us with an incredible, amazing, eternal, personal, supernatural, right? Sacrificial, unconditional, unending love. He knows us. And, and you got to get this. Make it personal. He knows me. Say, he knows me. So he knows me. He knows you. He knows us. And he calls us by name. He's interested in every single detail of our lives. He sees our, our pain. He sees our, our loneliness. God sees our struggles. He sees our tears. He sees our brokenness. He sees what others cannot see in us. And he takes, listen now, he takes us in as his children. And because of that, because he's God, he takes us in. He takes full responsibility to take care of us the rest of our lives and throughout of all eternity. You know what he loves us? He loves us as if there were no others. A.W. Tozer loved what he said. An infinite God can give all of himself to each of his children. He does not distribute himself that each may have a part, but to each one he gives all of himself as fully as if there were no others. Do you love that? Go back to the text. That we should be called children of God. Last phrase, here we go. And that's what we are. Say, that's what we are. Notice John, what he does, he underscores the present tense here. Underscores the present tense here. And that's what we are. It's now. It's right now, right? It's not like we become children of God later in eternity. No, no, okay? At the moment that you and I, that we get saved, at that moment, we're in the family of God. We are literally and eternally part of God's family. So it's now. I'm a child of God now. Not when he calls me home. Now, say now. So embrace that. Live that way, that God loves me and I'm his child. Because I trusted his son Christ into my life. Amen? Say the Father's love. Number two is the world's lostness. Write that down. The world's lostness. Write that down. Look at verse 1C. We're still in verse 1. Verse 1C. The reason the world does not know us, believers, is that it did not know him, Jesus Christ. You see, the world doesn't have the spiritual capacity to know what either Christ or Christians are about, right? They don't have the spiritual perception. Why? Because they're spiritually dead. 
Back to first, let's go First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. First Corinthians 2, 14. Paul writes, the person without the Spirit, say without the Spirit, does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them, what, listen now, foolish. Foolishness. And cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Right? Those that are in the world do not, do not, listen, do not know what to make of us. Right? Why? Because they're clearly, they're clearly haven't come into a personal experience in relation with Jesus Christ. We, as believers, we march to a different drumbeat. Right? We're going in a different direction. That's why they can't comprehend our life, our lifestyle, right? Someone said this. In, in, Do not be surprised if the world discounts your Christian testimony laughs in your face and makes scornful, even contemptuous remarks about what you believe. Converts to Christ find the scorn of the world when in the flush of their newfound enthusiasm for Christ, they go back to their family and back to their friends to tell them that they have now become a child of God. And they expect their family and they expect their friends to glow with enthusiastic response, but instead they're met with coldness, and oh, is that so? And they feel that first bucket of cold water thrown upon their faith. Why? Because the world doesn't understand them. If you're safe, say amen. We are not known, nor are we embraced of the world because the world doesn't know or embrace Jesus Christ. And just as Jesus and the early believers were rejected, we too will be rejected. And just as many in Jesus' day refused him as the Christ, the majority today refuse him and deny him as the Christ. Isn't that true? So I want to give you, before we move to the next point, I want to give you two, two lessons here. You guys ready? First one is share the gospel. Knowing the world's lostness, we should share the gospel. And this ought to challenge us, right, to do whatever we can in the power of God, through the Holy Spirit, to reach those apart from Christ before it is eternally too late. Jonathan Edwards, the leader during the Great Awakening, said this, God, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. I love that. Say, God, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. And oh, and as I read that, I said, oh, that we as believers would live our lives in this way. So that we can see everything going around us from a, an eternal perspective, right? From an eternal lens. That we would see the lost souls around us in light of eternity. Have a compassion for them. And that you and I would love them enough to tell them the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that, listen, in other words, when, when you and I are seeing the world, how lost it is. And it's lost. Man, it's lost. It should give us a deep passion and compassion to reach them for Christ. So, say, share the gospel. The second lesson here is treasure Christian fellowship. Yeah? Listen, listen. When you're fellowshipping with your brothers and sisters in Christ, listen, you're with people who get you. 
You're with people who, who understand you. Are you guys with me? Who understand you. And who you get. And who you understand. Amen. Why? Because you're on the same page. Why? Because you're marching to the, to the beat of the same drummer. Why? Because you're going in the same direction. You know each other. Because you know Christ. There's common ground. Listen, Christian fellowship. Hey, listen, Christian fellowship is amazing. It's encouraging. It's uplifting. You know, let me tell you something. You ought to get together with brothers and sisters at least once a week and just fellowship with them. Just talk about God. Talk about Christ. Talk about how he's moving in your life. Just, just get excited about the things of God. There's something powerful and amazing with Christian fellowship. And some of you need to get together with some other folks from the body of Christ. Amen? All right? So share the gospel, treasure Christian fellowship. Why? Because the world is lost. Not only that, but when we fellowship together, let's say at a public place, the lost will see us say, what's going on with them? Why are they so happy? And you better be happy. Amen. Joyful, right? Right? Number three, the longing for Jesus. The longing for Jesus. Verse 2a, dear friends, and Again, John uses that word, right, or beloved. Now, we are children of God. Now, notice John, what he does. He reinforces what he just said in the previous verse. He says, now we are children of God. Now, say now. Then he says in the previous verse that we should be called children of God, and that, that's what we are. The now, right? This is the current state of the believer. Again, this isn't something that we look forward to to becoming a reality in the future. It isn't something that we hope will one day transpire. No, it's right now. It's, say, say right now. We are, we are the children of God. So let's read on. And what we will be has not, yet, has not yet, excuse me, been made known. Now notice John doesn't say, and who we will be. Not who we will be, has not been made known. That, that's already been established, right? He's saying it's what we will be. In other words, what form, say form, we will be later on. That's the question. John can't, can't quite tell what we're going to be like exactly. The, the fullness of our future state of glorification has not been completely revealed. All John, all John can tell us is in the next portion of verse 2, verse 2b. But we know, say we know. Say, say no. But we know, not speculate, okay? We, we know, not 40% certain, not 70% certain, but 100% certain because it's based on God's promises. But we know that when he, Jesus, say Jesus, appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Don't you love God's word? And so when he says we shall see Jesus as he is, speaking of Jesus' glorification. Amen? Listen, to see him, to see him is to be like him. Our future transformation is certain and will be instantaneous. Amen? Now it doesn't say 
Listen now. doesn't say that you and I will be Jesus. All right? Okay? There's some funky doctrine out there that says you're going to be God or Jesus. Don't, don't listen to that. Okay? That, that's, that's garbage. All right? We will be like him, not him. Amen? As Christians, we will receive full transformation spiritually and physically at the point when Jesus comes back for us, speaking of the rapture, okay? And whenever that time occurs, we'll be transformed into a perfect state. This is exciting. I don't know about you, it's exciting, right? Write this down, Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21. And Paul writes this, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform, say transform, this is what he says, our lowly bodies so that they will be like our bodies, his glorious body. Say, we will be like him. This is the point when he comes or conforms us to his image, to his nature. And if you got it, say got it. Write this down, 2 Corinthians 3, 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Paul writes, and we all, say we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So you ready for the lesson? We're getting an upgrade. All right? Say that. That went right over your guys' head. Say, say, we're getting an upgrade. Amen? We will have a glorified body just like Jesus. Amen? Listen, we, will, we, would, we would have to be like him. We would have to be like him, or we wouldn't be able to handle his glory. Can't do it in this normal body. You guys with me? You see, we need to have a body that is adapted to our new environment in eternity, in, in heaven. A new body, a glorified body in eternity that will be able to function in the immediate presence of Jesus Christ. Follow me here. We must have glorified eyes in order to look at him. We must have glorified ears in order to hear his amazing voice. We must have glorified hearts in order to have the capacity to love him. We must have glorified hands in order to cast our crowns at his feet. We must have glorified knees in order to be continually kneeling down before him in worship, in reverence, in devotion, in adoration, and in love. We must have glorified feet in order to stand before him, the Holy One, on holy ground. We must have glorified mouths in order to praise him and glorify him forever and ever and ever. Our bodies need a significant upgrade in order to handle the presence and the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen? Well, John tells us, hey, you're going to get an upgrade when you and I see Jesus. Amen? So the body that we have now is nothing, say nothing, compared to the body that we'll have in eternity. The best is yet to come. Amen? This is not your best life now. Uh-uh. Okay? It's coming. Say it's coming. 
And it's something that we all look forward to, right? That uh, we're going to have a, a really amazing body. You've always wanted the perfect body, right? No, no pouches, no panzas, right? I mean, right? I mean, it's going to be awesome, right? Okay? And that's something we can look forward to. No sickness, right? No pain, no mourning, no crying. It's going to be awesome. Say awesome. Number four, you guys ready? As we see the progression, here we go, the way to live. Say that. The Father's love, the world's lostness, the longing for Jesus. Number four, the way to live. Look at verse 3a. Everyone who has this hope, say hope, underline that, circle that, highlight that. Everyone who has this hope in him. Everyone has this hope in him. Well, listen, friends, that's, oh, I want to stop there. That's only talking about Christians, right? Non-believers are not longing and looking for Jesus. They're not, right? In fact, his return will be their worst nightmare. This is the hope of return of Jesus Christ for his church, for his people. This is a great anticipation for every single true child of God. And by the way, let me say this. The word hope, say hope, is not wishful thinking. Hope is like, well, I, 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 you know, it's not a feeling. It's confidence. It's a confident expectation. It's assurance. It's surety. It's a reality. It is confidence, right? Confidence anchored in the very word of God's promises. Say hope. Martha Snell Nicholson who for more than 35 years was an invalid, bound to her bed, and yet whose spirit was triumphant in Christ, said this. The best part is a blessed hope of his soon coming. However lived before I grasped that wonderful truth, I don't know. How anyone lives without it these trying days, I cannot imagine. Each morning, I think, what a leap of the heart. He may come today. And each evening when I wake, I may be in glory. Each day must be lived as though it were to be my last. And, and there is so much to be done to pure, love this, to purify myself and to set my house in order. I am on tiptoe with expectancy. There are no more days, excuse me, there are no more gray days for they're all touched with color. No more dark days for the radiance of his coming is on the horizon. No more lonely days with his footsteps coming ever nearer. And the thought that soon, soon, soon I shall see his blessed face and be forever through with pain and tears. Hope. See, hope. Back to the text. Everyone who has this hope. If you're a believer, say, I have this hope. Now listen to what he says. Everyone who has this hope in him, what? Say it. Purifies him or herself. See, who we are, right? Who we are and where we're headed, children of God going to eternity, changes the way that you and I should live. Right? It should have a radical effect on how you and I live as children of God with the coming expectation of Jesus Christ. That, that's supposed to lead to a practical holiness in our lives. It should make us clean, clean up our act. 
Because eager hope, eager hope produces a changed life. It produces a desire to live for Christ right now. Right now. And by the way, the word purifies, say purifies, is in the present tense. It means we are to always, always be purifying ourselves. It's also in the active voice, which means we must take action to do this. We can't just sit back and do nothing. We must do it, whether we feel like it or not. We are to purify ourselves. It's also in the indicative mood. It means it's a statement of fact. That's what needs to happen in our lives. Bottom line. You say, say amen. So that being said, you and I as believers, we have an active role and responsibility to purify ourselves. We bear personal responsibility and, and accountable to God to purify ourselves. Got it? And you see, I want to I remind you, John, his purpose in writing this epistle is both doctrinal and ethical. Right? Because genuine doctrine always affects how we live our lives. As we wait for Jesus' return, we are to continually and constantly purify ourselves. Now you might say, okay, well, how do we do that? The main provision for purifying ourselves is the Word of God. Say the Word of God. Do what I will. John 17, 17. John 17, 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify me. Purify me. Change me. 1 Peter 1, 22a. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22a. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth. What God's word does, it helps us to take on his characteristics. Right? This is why it's so important for you and I to be in the Word of God and study it. God's Word helps us to take on His characteristics. Well, look at the last part of verse 3. Just as He is pure. Verse 3b. We are to purify ourselves. Why? Because He say He is pure. How pure is Jesus? He's perfectly pure. Amen? He's the standard. Say the standard of our purity, okay? It, it's that high. Now, now let, me, let me ask you, is that a high standard? Heck yeah. Nonetheless, it's a standard he holds his children to. Now, though we cannot reach that standard perfectly, we know that, right? Can't reach it perfectly. It's a standard we must always be striving for. And daily, listen now, we should be purifying our hearts our minds, our hands, our eyes, our ears, our mouth, and our feet. In summary, it's this, Romans 12, 1. Romans 12, 1, where Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your what? Say it. Bodies. That's your whole body. Amen? Your heart, mind, hands, eyes, ears, mouth, feet, your body as a what? Living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. So you ready for the lesson? Here we go. Here we go. Clean house. Say that. There cannot, listen, there cannot be one little closet, 
one little closet in our lives that remains dirty. Hmm? Everything's everything. Must be purified. And isn't it true that we, you know, okay, yeah, that room's clean, that room's clean, but don't go in that room. Isn't it true? I mean, you can come in and, and hey, come, just don't go in that room. We have houses, like, our houses are like that sometimes, right? We have a room that's just full of stuff, right? Go in that, but don't go in that room. It's not clean. As believers, every single room in our hearts, in our lives, must be clean. Now, what I want to do, I want to go back to what John said back in chapter 2, verse 6, which is one of my favorite verses, where John says, whoever claims to live in him, live in God, must walk, that means a continuous walk, present infinitive, as Jesus walked. I'm going to read that again. Whoever claims to live in him, God, must walk as Jesus walked. If we truly know God, truly been saved, truly children of God, then our lives should resemble Christ's life. We are to imitate him now. To live a pure life, to live a pure lifestyle now. Therefore, we must think what he thinks, want what he wants, love what he loves, hate what he hates, and live as he lived. And God expects the closest conformity to Christ in our conduct and in our character. Why? Because God is in the business of conforming us into the image of his Son. You ready for the lesson? Be ready. Come on, say that. We're almost done here. Say, be ready. Be ready when Jesus comes back. He's going to come back. Don't know when, but he, he's going to come back. Look at our world affairs today, the current events. Man, he's going to come back. You guys with me? Again, knowing God's love. Being a child of God, looking forward to seeing Jesus makes us clean up our act. And get this, I want you to get this. If we're citizens of heaven by new birth, then we will be Christian on earth by practice. If we're truly born of God, truly his children, if we claim to have a place in heaven, then we will practice, pursue holiness, practice, pursue Purity here on earth. We will pursue a lifestyle of Christ-likeness. Hey, Jesus is going to come back. And he could come back at any moment, say any moment. That being said, do we have anything we need to straighten out before he comes? Hmm? And until he comes, say until he comes. Come on, say until he comes. We need to stay connected to him. We need to stay, abide, remain, keep in step in fellowship with him. We need to stay, remain, abide, keep in step with his word. And that, and that, doing that will purge our hearts from the love of the world. It will set our hearts upon the pursuit of Christ. And finally, it will fill our hearts with the anticipation of his return to meet him and to meet him with boldness and with confidence. Amen?
because he's coming back. So I'll stand. Father, we thank you.